Welcome to B2B Tech Mindset, where we explore how technology drives business success. Join us as we discuss the latest software solutions, trends, and strategies that can help you stay ahead of the curve, develop a tech mindset, and learn how to leverage technology for growth in your organization. Welcome back to a new episode of the podcast. And today we want to talk about low code, no code, and citizen fill the blank. And fill the blank might be citizen developer or citizen data scientist. And the motivation to talk about this thing is the fact that I first heard about this when I was working uh, in telco in the past. And there, being a citizen data scientist was a thing. There was a bunch of tools that began to emerge at the time where people could just by click and point with drag and drop, you could just build the whole data science pipeline. And that was, at the time, that was crazy because people had to write all the things in Python. Well, still, people have to write all the stuff in Python. And I think at the end of the day, this is what kind of survived. But there are many data science processes that you can build in a visual way. And I think the super cool thing is that you can explain that to business uh, stakeholders, people like that. And... Um, after I saw that, I was fascinated by that. And it's not that I'm a heavy user of low-code, no-code platforms. I definitely am not. But I'm interested about it. I'm interested. And that's why uh, we thought it would be a good idea to have a conversation today about that topic. See how far we go. So what are your thoughts about it? What, what, is, what are your experiences so far with low-code, no-code? Yeah, no, definitely low code, no code is a buzzword that's coming more and more into the mainstream. I personally uh, have been involved in a couple in designing a couple of products that have low code, no code uh, capabilities. So I'm pretty familiar with these concepts, on uh, also with some of the pitfalls that <laughs> those um, type of product may have. Like, uh, yeah, the main idea behind it is like empower your users to do more with the system like have a more make the system more flexible not defining every use case or like actually developing like every use case like build the system in a very abstract way that you can model it depending on the on your use case so that's basically the main idea for low code no code uh, or most of these products. Yeah, it's funny because the the first low-code, no-code environment that I recall using uh, often, especially last weekend, because I was trying to set up this website, <laughs> and and then I, you know, I, I go and uh, I was I was in Azure, so I I set up this this uh, application service, and then I, I deployed their WordPress, and when I deployed my WordPress there, I was looking for. For, for a theme. And then I found there are themes that allows you to configure your, your pages and do crazy things there. And, and then I found myself doing no code, essentially. You can build mm -hmm. your whole website layout and define your styles and, and define how many columns you want to have and the styles and the colors and and even you can define interactions and if you want a single page application or if you want to use a classic blog all these things you can do there without writing a, a single line of code and i i found that amazing and i think there is like a huge ecosystem around these things and people don't really think about this as no code or low code for that sake, but yeah. it is. And I think there are many of these tools that people use in daily basis. Like I know there is, I don't know, you recall when we were still in education, uh, there are these um, learning platforms like like Moodle. Mm. What is that Moodle was the name? Yeah, yeah Moodle. I think it was Moodle, yeah. Yeah, Moodle. It's the same thing. You know, you, you can upload your whole content, you can define policies, who can see this, who cannot see that. And, yeah. and, and you can create your whole training. And that was one of another case of something that is a no code, no code platform and is mm. something that can be pretty, pretty useful. But yeah. I think the huge difference now is that you can use those also inside of the enterprise, you know, to manage business processes, to do things yes. like data science, yes. to do yes. things like uh, automating some workflows and mm. 
that's what we want to talk about is how these things come together in the enterprise, what these things are, you know, what experiences, you know, what, what, where are we seeing people using this, these new yeah. capabilities? I think, I think we, we should just tell like why we are seeing this type of local no code. I'm not going to say that they are like the majority of the companies are using that, like the majority of the companies that can use it are using some capability of that. It's not, it's definitely not for everybody. Um, but I think we, we, we can just take a step back on, and talk about why you may want to take a look into that to introduce that in your organization. Is or, like, or, or perhaps or we can go one step one step even further. We can mm -hmm. say, you know, what is a, a no code platform? <laughs> you know, so yeah, so, wow. for, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. for people who don't know what it is, it's like, you know, what what is that? So basically, a no code is is like a low, no code low code is like you can the system that you are working on is flexible enough that you can actually build a kind of solution or pipelines or data flows or whatever they, they you're building without writing a single line of code, like connecting data from different systems or pushing data from your warehouse to your shipping facility or importing data from your sales people or generating a report. Like report is something like usually you have a local no-code environment and you can drag and drop fields and drag and drop like charts, whatever. Other very rudimentary um, things that you can code low-code, no-code is like some, some business intelligence systems that let you like design dashboards or real-time dashboards from looking at this KPI, looking at this KPI uh, over time in a chart etc that can be classified as local no code as well but very rudimentary if you ask me um so basically a very very flexible system that is designed in an abstract way that you can actually build your business cases and solve business problems on top of it without being a programmer that's just the low code no code like code a programmer is able to code, but if you are not a programmer, you are not able to code. So the system empowers you to do amazing stuff without uh, the need to be a coder or a developer. So I, that I is think... basically my definition, very personal of no code, no code. I, I you know, the, I, I, I like to think about the, the platforms that that everyone knows. So, so if, for people to understand what actually means to be a, a, to have a low code environment. Mm -hmm. I, yep. I mean, at full disclosure, again, I work for Microsoft, that, but this is that Microsoft advertisement. But again, uh, Excel is is probably one of the classic examples or if you use any office product because you can always go and use visual basic for applications so if you use visual basic for applications you can extend what the office yeah. suite does so that it that will be the low code the part. low code part of it or if in excel you write an expression uh like mm -hmm. you are using a vlookup or something like that that is also low code and you can do some interesting automation doing that, but you can skip the whole thing altogether and use the data transformation things and you can build or you can create a pivot table without writing a single line of code. So for mm. people who think that this is something that is really far away from their world, if they are using Excel or they're using PowerPoint, uh, just to mention these two tools, which you know I think most people know them, they do have these low code no code capabilities you can just with the standard user experience user interface that you have you can build things you can drag and drop uh, resources and assets and data and connect to this data source and import this file and you're not writing anything any single line of code but you can write expressions that might filter something so do can do some math or some analytics or you can just use some programming language like Visual Basic for applications to tweak things, to automate some things, because sometimes you want to automate things. Sometimes you, you want to do, even if you do macros, you know, like macros that you yeah. could record, you know, you were clicking things and then you can automate the whole thing and then it, it plays the whole thing back to you. 
that's a way of using uh, low code or no code uh, to improve your productivity. So I think people are more often exposed to these technologies than they actually realize. It's, it's yes. more pervasive than people know. And for that reason, I think it's important for people to be aware that actually there is now a rise of tools and possibilities in this realm. And yes, not, of course, they come good. with risks. So the, before you were, you know, we were talking offline about the risks. So, so tell me some crazy yeah. stories that might happen. Before before going to the risks, like not only on the enterprise, it's like if you see stuff like Siri chocolates or whatever the equivalent is in Android, it's like, like that's basically a low-code, uh, no-code environment where you can define certain behaviors on your phone that are not predefined. Like you can say, oh, if that happened and do that or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it, it lets you adapt the software, let's say it's like that, like your device, your iPhone, to your particular use case. So if you take a bunch of pictures, we always send the picture to this particular application. You can create a Siri chart to do that. I guess I don't use that in any in any capacity, but I think that is how it works or how it should work. So people expect it to work. Um, yeah, I think so. I it's think not only name, on the enterprise. Yeah, I think I think the name for for house automation. I think is the the name of the protocol is if if. TT or if something like that. Then that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If then then that. Yeah, exactly. And this, this, that's essentially that. yeah. that's essentially a low code, no code environment for home automation. Or even if you want to go even fancier, Internet of Things. Uh, yes. At home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if if this then that is not only for home. I mean, you can use it for home automation, but basically they they operate in your in the your daily websites mm -hmm. that you use like. You can define workflows like if I upload a photo to Instagram, then post the same photo to Twitter. Mm. And then you upload it once and they get like uh, these two, two things together. And that again is adapting the software to your particular use case. Like you have two accounts, Instagram and Twitter, and then you need to post at the same time. You automate that in one post. So you adapted. So the low-code environment, low-code, no-code environment, enables you or empowers you to solve your particular problem that you have. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about the the IoT or thing things because these lights that you see in the background, they actually they support that. So you can you can yeah. have uh, you know any any virtual assistant in your mobile phone thing, and then you can just create these kind of scripts. That that people can can use for that, and it's you know yes. e even for kids. I uh, there was a you know there is this environment for kids. I, I forgot. I think it's, it's it's not Flask. What's the name of it? Uh, it's, uh, uh, something uh, like React. React. No, what is like it? That. What is the name? It's, the name yeah. of that that kids programming? This MIT thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's totally visual. It's totally visual, exactly. And so you have like yeah. like Lego pieces, and there are, you have it's some like Lego, Lego pieces. Yeah. yeah, there are some Lego pieces that is, they are like the if conditions, and you have the actions and the functions, and and the parameters yes. are also have a different color. And then the kids just mm. build the whole thing, and at the end you have a little game. So yes. this is also another form of uh, low code, if you want, or no code environment where you can build build your little your little games with that. And then I think that that all the games like that, I, I, you know, I don't have it in the top of my head. I have put up yeah. to ask my kids, but, but yeah. there's a bunch of, yeah, because it's a bunch of these things. There is, and, there is, there is. And, and you can, you can run a lot of automation, but things can go wrong. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, we will, we were starting talking before or mentioning before that the risk of the low code, no code. So my career been um, um, involved in products that uh, have local no-code capability, you have to be aware of the risks. Like uh, if you give power to the user, that also means that they can be destructive power, not destructive for, for the company or whatever, or for themselves, but your data is in danger. Like if you give the capability or like, I don't know, perform an action like will be like, delete a record which sounds pretty innocuous at the beginning 
But if you, before that action, you have a query that say like, give me all the users, and after that you have the action like delete the records or delete all users in the end, is what you're building. So if you execute that um, statement, you will basically kill your database and erase everything. If you don't have a backup mechanism or uh, even if you, if in, in the um, DevOps, you don't have a backup mechanism, then you are basically dead in the water. All your data is gone. Uh, that's why one important part of the low-code, no-code products or environments is like you have two options. In, in my opinion, from my experience, is like you have to be able to signal the user, hey, this is a potentially very destructive um, action that you want to that you are building. So yeah, you're pretty sure triple check that you want to execute this in this way, because and that is also my my um, my recommendation here. Show them the results. So if you execute this, three thousand records will be deleted on the in the database. Or when the user say like, oh, three thousand records will be deleted in the database. I only wanted to delete about one hundred. Then it's something wrong. You go back and fix whatever is wrong there. Or that will be the other part, the other option that will be my preference is like let it execute it, but let let the user come back to the previous state. Like uh, you executed that, you come tomorrow and say, oh, database is, is is back. So okay, undo that thing that I did yesterday, and you get the state back. But it's that's a little bit different to program, so that's why um, resource wise, it's not the preferred option. The preferred option is a big red warning, like please be careful. On three times, are you sure? Are you really sure? Are you really, really sure? That is the current state of affairs. What what I what I see often in 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 organizations is, I mean, the the the, the way they call it is shallow IT. So, so you have all these software capabilities deployed in your organization, and they are not deployed by IT. It's just mm -hmm. people bring them. It's like bring your own device or bring your own whatever it is to the workplace and they are connected to the intranet or whatever it is yeah. to your corporate network or your work network. And then people begin to do funky stuff inside of your network. So uh, this, this, and then many low-code, no-code environments fall into that category. I mean, they have the potential to do that. And what I've seen is uh, a strengthening of the security posture of the organizations. And I know this sounds very corporate, but yeah. it's what it is, is that you have to strengthen your, your security posture in order to ensure that the, the data assets that the organization has are really well protected. And yes. the way that IT do that is by using things like zero trust. It's like, you know, it is like you have the minimum, the minimum access to these resources or the access that you really need. And if you need to do something else, you need to ask yeah. for those uh, for permissions. Those, those permissions. And yeah. then there is also other risks with the low-code, no-code environment. You have the risk of um, exfiltration of data. So some of these environments, they are not contained. So it might be that you are taking some of your internal information and you are moving it to some provider somewhere and no one is aware of that. Somewhere in the cloud. Exactly. You know, you don't know where it is. And, yeah. and, and then surprise, surprise, you don't know if that provider is also compliant with the same regulations that your business should be compliant. And yes. that that might happen. So those that might happen. That, like you are using happen. like, yeah, I, I've, I've seen that happen a couple of times though. Um, it's like basically you have a software that have access to your whole database because it's a, a business um, information software, business intelligence software that you use like basically to create dashboard or whatever. But that thing has access to all your data because you you were lazy and the people that configured it that is like, oh yeah, yeah, well, tomorrow we want to make a report of, of, of this other data. So let's connect everything to this mm -hmm. thing. On that thing had a vulnerability that got hacked at some point. And since everything was in the cloud, all the data was flushed out. Uh, that is one, one yeah, example. Yeah, I mean, it, it, can, it can definitely happen. 
but yes. the, the, the the challenge is to balance between the risks and the benefits because you know so far yes. we've we've spoken about you know what the problems are but i think there are also a lot of benefits to it especially i don't know how it's in other places in the world but here in europe in germany particularly there is a there is a shortage of people who have the capability to build it systems so by bringing these tools it's obviously empowering those who do not have those skills so people can now go out there and build what they need for their own department and i think there is a lot of power there is a lot of um empowerment that you are giving to your employees when they are able to build the systems by themselves and i think this is this is uh, the, the balance this is a little bit you have to juggle between increasing productivity creating these new tools and the obvious security risks that you might have however however this is funny because there there are scenarios where you have i recall there was this guy and he was talking about youtube automation and this is a, a funny example mm -hmm. this is not really a corporate example or or something really business uh, yeah, like well, super like yeah, yeah, it's business, but it's not in a corporate it's not enterprise. enterprise. It's not, it's enterprise. not enterprise. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he was doing YouTube automation. And for that, he had a, a, a calendar, he had an expert sheet, and then he had uh, something like a like a an agile Canva canvas where he could move people from one one stage in the process to the next stage in the process. So they, mm -hmm. I think they were building videos, and then the first part was to create the script and then he was mm -hmm. assigning that to someone and then moving that to the next phase to the next column when that was like um uh proving uh, like proofing that the script was you know uh, uh, uh spell check properly proofread, proofread, yeah, and so on yeah. and then creating the video and uploading the assets and all these things and yeah. and he connected a bunch of things so he built a mashup of a bunch of different Systems no code stuff. yeah no, no code stuff and at the end, he had a really productive thing that for his yes. particular use case, I mean, if your spreadsheet get leaked, probably not big deal. Not a big deal. Yeah. Probably not big deal. So for certain scenarios, these things can be super useful. And this person had a team of contractors all over the world. So I think he had people in the Philippines and people mm. in the US and they were all collaborating there because all these tools were online and they were all working together. And he essentially, he built this work workspace, this workplace yeah. in this workspace yeah. where he had this virtual company and everyone working in one, in one environment without having to build a, a software that did that particular thing. So I think that's that's really powerful. And probably there are many cases, many use cases, where you can also do the same thing. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the, that particular example, they, it become, um, I'm pretty sure he started automating all that because he couldn't scale any other way. Like if you if he have to do all this all the steps manually. That will take too long or it will be too expensive or that will need like the double amount of, of people or resources to do that. So the automation using low-code, no-code solutions come from the problem of scaling, for instance. Yeah. In that particular case, I can, that, that I can figure be. it out. Yeah. That might yeah. be. That might be. On another aspect of the low-code, no-code um, products, if you introduce that in your organization, it's like you actually are potentially being more flexible to, to the environment, which is one of the best characteristics that your organization can have in this forever changing environment that like we are living in this uh, uh, in these times. Like if you are able to adapt to new um change in the market, change in the supply chain, all that. If you empower your employees or your departments or whatever to be flexible in solving their own problems their own way, that increase your organization flexibility on adaptability, which is 
pretty, pretty crucial if you ask me in these times. Yeah, I think I think the the and it goes back to the original subject of not depending on having a a certain amount of people who is capable of writing software in a formal way because yeah. it's hard to come by with uh software engineers these days it's, it's hard and mm -hmm. building software projects takes time it's it's not something that is easy and then the, the problem with writing software is that the standards for writing software have been increasing over time so the expectation that people have right now is that you have your test coverage in your code that you have a, a devops pipeline and software engineers are thinking in these terms and that makes absolutely sense if you are building some ip that you need to or you are going to resell to your end customers Mm. And you need to ensure certain level of quality. If you have SLAs, yeah. right? If you have yeah. service level agreements, and if you have um, other metrics that you are making commitments towards your clients. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. if you're building an ad hoc or if you need an ad hoc software solution that might boost the productivity of any department in your organization, or if you are an entrepreneur, and you realize there is this process. And that's why I like to go back to this YouTube guy, the whole YouTube automation story, because I found that mm. fascinating. He needed, I mean, if you think about, is there a software suite that allows you to automate YouTube or video production in a distributed manner? Well, I think probably the answer is, I don't know. I tend to say no. Yeah. Because, you know, and, and of course, that that he has is not completed in that, you know, there he doesn't have like a payroll system. There's no payroll system there. You know, he has to see mm. how he pays his uh, contractors. And But still, he sees when people get the files and when people check back the files to their online storage account, whatever they have, whatever they use. And yeah. Software in this way can help you to automate that. Obviously, and this goes back to what we discussed last week, there is understanding what is the underlying process. Now, he really understands, and I think he even stressed at some point, look, I know these are the steps and these are the tools that I need to integrate in my workflow because I did this by myself. And so yes. I had a to-do list where I could tell, well, I need to do this and this and this and this mm. and this things. And now I just put together all these tools and they do these things for me, or I can just outsource these things to other people. And yeah, because yeah, he knew already, he knew already the full process because he developed the process over time. Like at the beginning, I'm pretty sure the process was not like it is right now. Like he figured out all the steps he needed to do to improve the quality of whatever he's doing. So he developed the process. And after you have the process defined, can be a simple to-do list. Like you do this first, this next, and the third step is this one. So that is a, that that three steps defines as a, as a process. And it's documented. If you have it in a list, it's documented. If you have it documented, you can potentially pretty, let's say with low effort, automate that. Yeah, which that is, is which, exactly the case. Yeah, which is which is super cool. And it brings us back to the whole process definition and process automation. And then there is one other aspect of the whole low-code, no-code, which is these RPAs. You know how you hear about the the, the you know the the robotic process automation uh mm -hmm. thing, which I found that pretty cool. Again, if you go back to the example of Excel, you had macros and macros what yeah. What were macros? Well, you had this record button, you press that, and then you were clicking through your whole spreadsheets and copying things from A to B and doing stuff there. And then if you you had your macro recorded and then you could just place the cursor somewhere and they click replay my macro, and then it would yeah. it would automate the whole thing. And now what remote uh, robotic process automation does is the same thing at the operative system scale. So it's just open this application, 
go to this web page, scroll, select this, paste it in this other application, and then write something somewhere. And I found yes. that pretty cool. Very powerful. Again, very powerful. It has a lot of room for things going wrong if you are not paying attention yes. to what you have if to you do. You are not paying attention. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But but it's indeed very powerful. I mean, how many things you can automate? Like if you have, say, if someone has a visual assistant, mm -hmm. and this is one scenario that I was thinking when I, I was looking at this YouTube guy, because he actually inspired me for many, many possible scenarios that you could do. So imagine you have some visual assistant somewhere in the world. And mm -hmm. instead of this person working in their local computer, this person is working in, in a machine in some hyperscaler, so some cloud provider, and they mm -hmm. have their Windows machine there. And you have installed one of these robotic automation processes agents. And then when the person is clicking, doing, I don't know, this person is doing the billing or this person is doing creating uh, a thumbnail or doing some simple editing of mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. You could just record all these steps. And when you have a recording of, of all these steps, you could eventually. In theory. Exactly. Up, you know, start a, a virtual machine in the cloud. If if that if that process is, is predictable and reproducible enough, which I exactly. guess not not all processes are like that, but some will be. And some then, will be some will definitely be, yeah. Some will definitely be, you know, it's, it's like if you know that you have to go to website X and you have to select all content and paste mm -hmm. it somewhere and then create a list of documents that have the content of website X. Yeah. And for that to... example, for that example of the virtual assistant, I think it's a little, it felt a little bit short, but because my definition of the virtual assistant is like, is there to assist you whatever comes to your mind so the process is is not always defined what he needs to do well but to figure the, out in a way yeah, yeah well virtual assistant i mean in the broader sense of of the word you know it's like i'm not thinking about having a secretary somewhere but really mm. someone who is supporting you with certain particular kind of tasks it's like if you go to one of these uh online marketplaces for gigs yeah many times you find people who do Data entry, that's what they do. And data, yeah. data entry, essentially, they go somewhere, they see some information, they capture that, and they paste it somewhere else. That's what you're doing. Yeah, they paste it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And, and so if In that, a different format, maybe. In a different format, they change it a little bit. But yeah. if, if it's not too complicated, you might just automate that using this. You know, you can record what people is doing, and then yeah. you can just you know, replay the whole thing. But this time you can do it across several machines. You can do it at scale. So you, you can scale that. You can scale that process. But uh, that um, that means that the, that the process is like reproductible or it's always the same. So it doesn't change that much. Um, I have you another example, which is even more interesting. It's like, do you know that uh, it's an industry example? Um, like, Industry, when I mean industry, I mean production, production of, good, of goods. Like, you know, a lot of industries are, are using robots, right? To build stuff like in the production line, right? So back in the day, what you used to program a robot is like really sit there in code and like move 10 centimeters to the right, advance it, pick this, open like 40 centimeters with a grabber to that. Like you have to code all that. So right now, there are some devices, the colleagues are the robot, the robots like devices that you can actually have, they have a trainer when you actually put something, put a sweet on or an artificial arm, when you actually perform the actions when that get recorded and you can reproduce those actions in the robot. So it's like, you don't have to program the robot at all. You teach the robot to do stuff should you train the robot to do stuff so that is a, another example of local no code uh platform that is actually it is going to be a lot more used in the in the in this in the industry yeah it's it's i mean i think rpa in the different flavors is going to 
become pervasive, like probably it's going to be found in many, many different places. Because again, there are many tasks that are really repetitive and not only mechanical tasks or uh, data entry tasks. There are also other tasks that, you know, with a little bit of intelligence added to the mix, you could just automate. And I'm, I'm thinking probably, I mean, it's just beyond the scope of what we wanted to talk today, but if you, if you think about how could you combine these large uh, models uh, mm. like, like GPT, and then you now understand the context in, in which, you know, of, of a certain page. And if you have to do something different, the software can make a decision based of the information that is based there. And then you can ask the model, well, give me what kind of situation is this? And then it could kind of build a tree or at least get a, a probability of what would be the best course of action. So yeah. if not fully automated, because that's another thing that people should keep in mind, if things are not fully automated, at least you can delegate certain parts or or use uh yeah you can just delegate certain parts and ask the human in the loop for the decision so instead of the exactly. human in, in, instead of yeah exactly the human will be supervising the process but the heavy lifting is happening on the other side so some machine some some automated system is just doing that and then if yeah. there is the, a bottleneck or a point that a decision needs to be made then you involve the human and you say hey how do you think i should do this this and that yeah. and then the person would you know looking at the context uh, make a decision and then if you are smart enough then you capture the environment and then you capture what decision the human being did. Retrofit the intelligence. Exactly. System. And then you build yeah. a new model and then over time you will be able to also automate that part of the business, which I know mm -hmm. many people think is kind of crazy, but is probably something that is feasible and can be done in many scenarios. I mean, I'm pretty sure that a lot of stuff that we talk uh, here in the podcast Sounds pretty weird to a lot of people, but they are coming. So you need to be prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the, the interesting thing about low code, no code, and 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 the data science, the citizen data scientist uh, environments, and 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 citizen developer is is that if you in your organization, if you don't adopt these practices because you're wary of them, you might be concerned of uh, data exfiltration concerns or because it's shallow IT or because it might displace certain roles, all these concerns, which are valid. Yeah. Yeah, and, valid. I, and we get it. The problem is that you might have external competitors who are adopting these practices. And then when your competitors are adopting these practices and they are going against you with these tools, they have a, an order of magnitude of efficiency that you simply don't have. And, yeah, they have and feed, then, feeder, feeder for the market. Exactly. And then you are not only, this is an uphill battle because you are not only in the technological battle, you are also fighting a cultural battle within your organization. Yes. And yes. so for that reason, it makes sense to really think about investing and, and promoting the cultural change that is necessary for people to adopt this mindset that implies that you use these tools to enhance the, the processes that people are uh, experiencing or that the people are trying to, to do. So again, to summarize that idea, if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it for you and then they're going to kick your ass. That's, that's the, yeah, they're going to that, eat your that, lunch. That's, that's like someone short, else is going to do it. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 a, that's a short way to put it. If, you know, someone is going to do yes. it. It's, it's super yes. interesting. It's because the other day I was scrolling in LinkedIn, LinkedIn has turned into my my new. Uh, well, I was never an Instagram social media user. outlet. Yeah, I was I was never a huge Instagram user, but but uh, I now I, I check Twitter from time to time, and and now I do I do scroll uh, uh, scroll. Just scroll LinkedIn. Well. Yeah, I do a scroll fair amount of uh, LinkedIn, and 
you know, I was working in the game industry in the past, so I still get some stuff from the yes. gaming gaming industry. Yes. I have some some colleagues who are still in the game industry, and mm -hmm. there was this tool that allows you to. I mean, in the game industry, you always had these algorithmically generated landscapes. That was always a thing. You know, you mm, always, yes, that yes. was always like a procedural thing. Procedural generated. Yeah, procedural generated environments. You always had yes, that thing yes. that, that was, but it was very basic. And it took some time because people have to put like, you know, if you have like vegetation and the textures mm. and stuff like that. So, so you might have like a mesh, but but then you have to put stuff on top, and then still you have artists doing things, and and there are games. Yeah, it like, has to I, look right. It it does it, it cannot look like like too machine dumb because it doesn't even look weird. Yeah, and like then, you can, you cannot put a tree, and then on top of the tree a mountain. You have to do that exactly. Way you need you yeah. need a certain level of supervision there. It, you need rules, yeah. You need you rules, need rules. and and then there are games like um, I think Diablo. Diablo uses has many levels that mm -hmm. are actually generated in the procedural manner. So they are, they are different. So you go back from the dungeon, you go back again in the dungeon. Oh, this is different. Uh, mm -hmm. And so what I saw, the demo that I saw, is, it was pretty amazing. They were generating a landscape, but not only the landscape. They So they have the geometry of the landscape. And then on top of that, they added the, the textures. But then on top of that, there was like vegetation on top. So other... Mm -hmm objects and then on top of that yeah. they have fog and mm -hmm. and they keep adding stuff on top on top and then the crazy thing was that the prompt to do that was like a chat gpt prompt so they were just writing give me a, a, yeah that was and that was done in seconds you know give me a landscape with mountains so and so and then give me vegetation in this part and this part of the landscape and now give me some fog wow. and now give me some and you know, again, this is low code, no code at its best. That is definitely something that people were doing like last year with a lot of programming. Like yeah. you definitely have to alter the parameters in the in the model, in the procedural generative model. You have to alter like vegetation. Yeah, I, I don't I put a five here and then I get like five hundred trees or whatever. Exactly. So now you do it in a prompt that there's definitely no code, no code I mean, environment and, for that particular task. And, and there were people in the comments. So that the, the fascinating thing for me was the reaction in the comments, because obviously if you are, I mean, in the, the game industry is, is a hit based industry. It's like the music industry, but the difference is it's that like there is the a music industry, the movie industry is it, it, it's basically art. It's, it's art, but it's you art. Know, you you make you make a song and the risk of making a song is not that huge. I mean, you need you need to buy your hardware and you need to be creative. Well, it depends who perform. Depends who perform. It, it it depends, but it's not going to be as expensive as building a game. Like building a game uh, I don't is expensive. Know. Try try to book an hour. Try to book an hour in Abbey Road. Well, Studios. but a triple a triple A game is expensive. I mean, we are talking mm -hmm. here like hundreds of millions of bucks. There's no songs that are at that level. It's simply there's no songs that are at that level. So the, the, the challenge here is that now what you had in the past, a huge team of, you know, 3D artists creating those environments and game designers and all these people working on that. Now with the prompt, you just created that. And yeah. the comments were really interesting because people were like, oh, well, this is not good. Like, gosh, I mean, where is all these jobs going? But from a business perspective, if you are uh, running one of these studios and you're trying to manage the risk that entails to create all this content that might fail, mm -hmm. because again, is a, a heat-driven market. Yeah, heat-based system. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, it's, it's great for your business. It's just great yes. for your business. So that's why it makes sense. It makes sense for people to take a look at these low code, no code environments. And now with all the enrichments that come through AI and these new generative models, I know you are a huge uh, mid journey user, for instance. Mid journey is another example. Yes, definitely. Definitely. You know, definitely. It's another example. Very, I mean, very, how long yeah. it would take you to build those images? Oh, uh, first of all, I cannot illustrate, I cannot draw. So, 
I'm a user experience designer, I'm a designer, but I design buttons and flows and tables and charts and whatever. So I cannot draw at all. So any artistic artwork that I need, in the past I was relying on an artist. So right now it's like I rely on on Midjourney. Um, but that that you were saying is 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 it's more like the democratization of that process. Like it becomes accessible for more and more people to do that thing. Like procedurally generate a landscape. Like last year, you need a 3D engineer, a game engineer, or some other person, or the level designer to actually build the whole thing because it was building code. So you need all those people. Now you only need to write the prompt, as as far as I understood, right? Yeah. But that same technology development enables other people to do the same thing. And they may be more creative than the people working in the studio. So you may have in, in the situation that you get an indie game that is totally awesome, that without this advance in the technology, it never will have uh, seen the light of the day. So. Well, that's true. Because, yeah, because the the creator, the artist, the main creator, didn't know how to program, how to use Blender, how to use Unreal Engine or, or Unity or whatever they are using. So they didn't know, uh, knew how to do that. But now with the assistance of local no-code system like that, he can create his game basically by so many things. Uh, that's that's the that's it. Yeah. That's absolutely true. And that, again, goes back to that idea that if you don't do it, if you don't own those uh, technologies, then your competition will. And yeah. yes. and for those studios who said, oh, this is horrible because now uh, you are displacing all these roles. Well, you know, guess what? The next indie studio is going to do it for you. And then they will create those games. And then the whole company is going to, you know, be out of market. So. It's I know it's a, it's a tough time, and I think this many of these technologies what gear us, and this is a, a topic that goes beyond the, the scope of the conversation today, might be perhaps mm, a conversation yeah. for a different day, but it goes to this idea that more and more we see that the roles that are necessary are more the, the orchestrator, if you will, the, the person who brings people together and that architects systems, because the more automation yeah. you have and the more capabilities to bring different systems together and connect them and have these data pipelines that you can also visualize them and, and understanding mm -hmm. that you can move data from here to there and like automate and I can make predictions and then I can start a process and do all these things. The role of the business owner of the pep, the person who's running this is more of orchestrating and architecting systems and yeah. and that ability is going to become in my opinion more and more important every single day mm -hmm. because yes there will be still domains where you'll need to have the fundamental skills to actually build something but even if you think of something like copilot right yeah uh, you are increasing your efficiency, you know, 10 plus, I don't know how much, because I don't now... know how much, but this is, is, is definitely more than, uh, than, I mean, I'm more productive than I was before. So definitely I and can, so... I can, I can code faster. Yeah. So, you know, that's for that reason. I think there, are, there will be many functions where the this strategic view and this ability to build complex systems that are mm -hmm. that look like lego uh sets yeah. yeah it's going to be more and more important yes definitely and also um if you take a look at the developments in ai like in a couple of years time frames like in the short time frame if your system is not able to communicate with an external AI that's querying your system for data, then you'll be out of the market completely. Yeah. Like the same thing that happened with the with SEO web pages. Like 
you have to optimize for SEO so you can show up in Google web search. So in the short future, you have to optimize for something AI that is going yeah. to interface with your system and feel, or find your information or yeah. whatever. Something so AI. That is, something, that's definitely coming. That's definitely yeah, coming. Something AI, something that, sorry, automate the way you do things, uh, how yeah. you capture information, also how you capture what people is doing within uh, your business, how you're running your business. I think all these things are coming and yeah, and people, you better be prepared. <laughs> you have to really be prepared. Yeah. You, I mean, you you cannot see this. I mean, we have seen, we have seen this a lot of time, but you cannot see the AI revolution, I call it that way, uh, in quotes, air quotes, revolution as, um, as something dangerous you have to see it as an opportunity which it for me myself personally i think it's an opportunity it will change a lot of industries it will change a lot of works and workplaces and it will change the way that we do stuff yeah i think i think it's in the fundamental in the fundamental is it's a switch it's a shift in mindset and, and understanding that I think that the, 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 before trying to see where the opportunities are, I think the, the first thing is understanding what our role is and then trying to understand how can I enhance my role or what I'm doing by using these technologies. Yes, and, yes, yes. and I think, I think on that note, we can, we can stop right here. Uh, we, we, yeah, we can we can wrap it. I think we have um, a pretty good conversation about low code, no code. Yeah, and we always end talking about AI at the end of the chapters. Well, that's close I mean, connected. It's a new thing, so we have to do it. So it's it's, the it's, new it's, thing. it's close. It's closely connected. It's closely connected. Yes, it's now, closely connected. Now is is you know the 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 line is pretty pretty blurry. Pretty blurry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not it's not you know it's not something that you can avoid these days. You have to bring yeah, it over the conversation. So yeah. we can wrap this up. Uh, thank you for uh, listening to our conversation. So if you want to communicate with us, you, probably the email will be down there. Is not there is something else down there that might be that you can use to communicate with us. So uh, check it out. On see you next week. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye.